Well, hello, it's great to see you, Grace Church. We're so glad you're here today. You're spending some of your weekend with us. We just love worshiping together as a church family. There is nothing like that. And we have been in a series called Change Your World. And this series is about the Great Commission. And God has given us a mandate, and that is to share the good news of Jesus with everyone around us. That is the Great Commission, that's a mandate he's given us. And how many of you think that the world really needs some good news right now? Anybody? Yes. We need some good news. We need to hear some good news. We need to share some good news. I wonder how much things would change around us, how much the world would transform if we focused on sharing some good news right? Instead of all the bad that's happening, let's share some good news. And that's what we're talking about. And so I hope that you're not keeping the good news a secret because it's not meant to be a secret. I can stand here this morning and tell you that Jesus has changed my life. He has changed my life. And I am so thankful. I had a a transformation in my heart when I met Jesus And you probably did too. The moment you met Jesus, you had a transformation. And so you're supposed to be talking about that. You're supposed to be sharing that with other people. It's not a secret. And Pastor Aaron started us off last week with an incredible message about being salt and light and how we are salt, which helps to make the world taste better and that we're also to bring light into the darkness of the world, and and that's what what God's asked us to do. And last week he talked about, it was so good and so powerful. We we should be valuing people around us. We should have value in those people, right? We should see their value and speak it out, and we should also add value to people around us. So Such a great message, so go back and listen to that. If you missed, you will want to make sure that that you listen to that. So today I'm gonna dive in on a concept that we're gonna, we're gonna talk about today, and it's the fact that we cannot reach what we cannot see. We cannot reach what we cannot see. And some of us would prefer not to see, because it's just easier, right? It's just easier not to see the need around us, right? And, and if we don't see it, then we don't have to do anything about it. And I don't know if you've ever been driving in your car and you've been in the middle of some traffic. I know we have uh, some traffic here in Melbourne. We actually do, yes, especially this time of the year, right? All the snowbirds are here. I know those of us who have lived here for a long time, we can tell those times of the year, right? When the snowbirds are here, it's like our roads are busier. There's more traffic. Why is it taking me so long? So I don't know if you've been sitting in traffic and you're driving down the road and then there's other traffic that's trying to merge in with you or maybe they're trying to turn onto that road. And so you're driving down the road and you wanna get home and there's lots of traffic and you're just like, do, 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 do. Nope, I can't see them. They're not there. I don't have to let them in. I'm just gonna keep going, right? You just ignore them. You're like, turn the radio up. And you're like, oh yeah. You're just rocking out in your car. You're like, nobody's over there, whatever. And so if you don't see them, you don't have to let them in, right? You can ignore them. You can pretend they're not there. But the minute you turn and you look at them and you connect and you see that's a person just like me wanting to get home as well, then you're like, okay, you can come in, right? I mean, that's how it goes, right? So we cannot change what we cannot see. And so if you can't see that single mom who's struggling to buy groceries for her family, 
you don't have to do anything about it. If you don't see that dad who's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders, trying to provide for his family and working multiple jobs, you don't have to do anything about it. If you don't see that teenager who's struggling with their identity and is just questioning life and has having a really rough time and they're at risk, you don't have to do anything about it. If you don't see it, it's not there. And so we cannot change what we cannot see. And so we are talking about that today because once you see it, it's gonna mess with you. And once you see it, once your eyes connect and you see that that's a real person, you have to do something about it. God has called you to do something about it because he has given us this mandate, this great commission to reach people. And Jesus, Jesus was the perfect example of this. We can look at his life and just follow his lead in this area because he was an incredible example. And so this morning I'm gonna tell you about a story of Jesus in scripture. He and his disciples, they traveled around through the countryside together and they would go from town to town to town and they would interact with people all along the way and we see all those stories throughout the gospels. It's incredible. This particular story, I'm just gonna paraphrase the beginning for us. He and his disciples were traveling through the countryside and came across the town of Samaria and they were just outside the town and there was a well right outside of that town where people would come and get their water and so they were stopped right outside the city and the disciples actually left. They all left Jesus there all by himself. And so they all go, they go run this errand, all of them together. And Jesus is just there at the well by himself. And there's a woman that comes. She's a Samaritan woman and she comes up to the well. And so just a little bit of backstory on this. The Jews and the Samaritans did not interact with each other at all. They, were, they had a ton of racial tension between each other, ton of just um, issues and prejudices. Like it was really, really intense. Intense barriers and it was basically racial barriers. And it was so intense that normally Jews, when they traveled around, if they had to go anywhere near that area where Samaria was, they would travel out of their way to go around it so they didn't have to go through it or right next to it, or they didn't have to encounter anyone from Samaria. They made sure, even if it elongated their trip, they went around Samaria. They didn't wanna have anything to do with them. And so Jesus is here then at the well with this Samaritan woman. So here's these racial barriers, but then she's also a woman, so there's also gender barriers. Because in that time as well, men did not interact with women in public. They considered it to be inappropriate. And also in that time, in that culture, women were basically just property and men didn't view them as, as, as anything much, like they didn't wanna have anything to do with women in that time because men thought they were just so much better. So we have multiple things happening right here where Jesus is encountering this woman. So there's racial barriers, there's gender barriers, and then Jesus begins to interact with her and he says to her, hey, can you get me some water? And she is shocked and she says, you're talking to a Samaritan? 
Like, what? Are you really asking me for water right now? So she's shocked. And then the next thing Jesus asks her, he says, hey, where's your husband? And she replies, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. You've actually had five husbands and the one you're living with right now is not your husband. And now she's really shocked. She's like, whoa, this guy is special. There's something about him. How does he know all this stuff about me? He must be a prophet. And so she's shocked and just realizing something big is happening right now in this moment. And then she starts to just really take in the fact that she's talking to somebody great. And then Jesus tells her as well, he says, yeah, you don't really know how great I am because if you were to actually ask me for water, I would give you water and you would be thirsty no more. The water that I would give you, actually, you would never thirst again. And so he has this conversation with her and she's just like, whoa, this is a big deal. This man is a big deal. And so she's taking all of this in and we're gonna look in scripture now in John chapter four. We're gonna pick this story up in verse 27 says, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them asked, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? And so here we are. Jesus has been with the Samaritan woman having this, this interaction at the well. His disciples were gone. They come back and they walk up and they see this. I mean, this is shocking. This is a big deal back then for all of the reasons I just explained. The racial and the gender barriers that were there. This is completely shocking. And yet the disciples don't ask about it. They don't ask Jesus, why are you talking to her? Or what what do you want with her? They they didn't even ask. I mean, these, these are the disciples that traveled the countryside with Jesus, ministering and teaching to people. And these are the disciples that were constantly asking Jesus, Lord, what do you mean by that? Lord, what, what are you doing? Lord, teach us how to pray. Lord, help us to do this like you. They were constantly having those conversation and interactions with Jesus every moment that he was teaching and preaching. If they didn't understand or if they wanted to learn how to do that, they just asked. We see it all throughout the Gospels, and yet in this moment, they don't even ask. It's like nothing's happening, but yet something very, very big is happening. They're completely oblivious to it. And so you, you got to ask yourself, why? Why didn't they ask? I mean, the, the scriptures are Holy Spirit-inspired word of God that, that the authors wrote with the Holy Spirit's inspiration. And so the author here, John, who is telling us this story, that nothing was included in scripture that didn't happen. And so you gotta wonder, he specifically added that in this story, yet they never asked. And it makes me wonder if they had regretted that. So why didn't they ask? They just couldn't see what was really happening or they just didn't care. 
But then later when the book of John is written, they realized it was a big deal at that point. And, and so something significant is happening here and the disciples are not clued in on this. And let's pick it up in verse 28. It says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. So she goes back to the town. And, and mind you, she is very well known in her town. Everyone knows who she is. Everyone knows what she's done, the lifestyle she lives. And so she comes running into the town saying, I just met this man. He is changing my life. He must be the Messiah. You have to come. You have to come and see this. You've got to meet him. And so she's urging her town and they all are coming up to see Jesus. And so the whole town is streaming towards the well where Jesus and his disciples are. But yet here we have the disciples again. They're like, hey, Jesus, hey, let, let's, let's go head on over to Outback. It's time to eat. We need to have some lunch. Like, I'm hungry. Let's, let's go get some lunch. As this town is streaming towards them. So again, they're just missing what is happening right now. And so then Jesus in verse 32 replies to them, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. <laughs> so Jesus, here he is. He's like, listen, there's, there's spiritual food. Do you see these people coming? They need spiritual food. We're gonna focus on spiritual things right now. And all these people are coming. And then here they are again. They're like, Jesus, did you have lunch while we were gone? Did you get, did you get lunch without us? Like, it, it doesn't seem like you're hungry. You're talking about food, but you know, Again, they're just clueless as to what's happening. And so then again, in verse 34, we see that Jesus then explains to them, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. And in this time, this was basically a pro procrastination term. Like, oh, don't worry about it. We have plenty of time. You can do that tomorrow. There's no rush. And so that term is meaning procrastinating. And so um, he's saying, you guys keep procrastinating. You keep putting this off and saying, oh, whatever, right? And he says, I tell you, say these words with me, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. And so the disciples were with Jesus, and yet they couldn't see it. They didn't have their spiritual eyes opened. So something major was happening, but yet to them, nothing was happening. And so they were just missing it. And so I wonder, could we be missing it too? Could, could we be missing it? And so today's message we're gonna talk about opening our eyes. We need to open our eyes to truly see. And, and my question is, can you see the fields ripe for harvest? Can you truly see it? 
Because if you see it, you have to do something about it. It is your mandate from God to do something about it. And so I truly believe that in this passage, Jesus is also diagnosing the disciples with spiritual nearsightedness. A spiritual nearsightedness to where they're only seeing their own needs and what's going on with them and and right in front of them, right? He's saying, you can't really see what's going on. There's, There's a spiritual nearsightedness happening. And I don't know if you've ever been to the eye doctor and taken the eye test to test your vision to see if you're nearsighted or farsighted. Those are the terminologies they use in in the eyesight world, right? If you're nearsighted, that means you can only see up close. You can't see far away. And if you're farsighted, you can only see far. You can't see up close, right? Well, I, when I was a young girl, I actually started losing my eyesight. My eyesight started declining rapidly and I just was noticing it. And then by the time I was in fifth grade, my parents took me, you know, to get tested and realized that I actually had really, really bad eyesight. In fact, they would put the chart up for me to to do the eye test. And the only way I could tell them that the top letter was E is because I know it was supposed to be E. I couldn't make it out. I couldn't see the lines to make it an E. It was just completely blurred. So I was past legally blind, terrible, terrible vision. And so you know, I get glasses and then I'm able to see everything's in focus again. And they're like super thick. I had those like, you know, super thick glasses and, you know, just kind of this little fifth grader and, you know, got those thick glasses and I hated it. I hated it so much, but I could see. So it was awesome. Well, when uh, Aaron and I got married, I I always told him how bad my vision was. It was really bad. And at that time I was wearing contacts because as soon as my parents let me, I was like, I need to wear contacts. I don't want these things on my face anymore. So I would wear contacts all the time. And so I would always tell him my vision is so bad. I said, "I, I literally can't see anything. If my glasses are not on, like you could do anything and I would have no idea. And so um, sometimes at night, if we were just sitting on our bed talking or whatever, and I didn't have my glasses on, I would be having a conversation, and I, I would have no idea. He could, he could be asleep. He could be making crazy faces at me, like rolling his eyes, you know, all this kind of stuff. I, just mocking me, right? I, I would have no idea because I literally couldn't see him, even just sitting on the bed across from him. His face was completely blurred. I couldn't make any details out. And so that's how bad my vision was. And so we decided about 16 years ago, we decided to invest in LASIK surgery for me because it was just gonna be so life-changing for me since my vision was so bad. And so I went to the place to to get tested to have the LASIK and they like do all these tests, like tons and tons of tests. And they come in and they, they tell me, they're like, boy, you barely made it on our chart to like get LASIK surgery done. Like your eyes are that bad that you are at the bottom of the chart, and I was like, oh man, I'm so glad at least I made it. So I go in to have this surgery done, and they they give you some medicine to just totally relax your body, right, and your muscles, and you stop blinking. You literally don't blink anymore. So I remember sitting there in the lobby waiting with Aaron, and I'm just staring out the window, and I'm like, I'm not blinking. I can't remember the last time I blinked my eyes. Like, it's just so crazy. So uh, the stuff they give you works. It's awesome because obviously they don't want you blinking your eyes. So they take you back and literally it's about a 10-minute process. 10 minutes 
and my life changed forever. And so they take you back in one room, they put these special eye drops in and they take you in another room and they do this laser thing where they open your, your cornea up and, and literally like lift those flaps up off your eye. Then they get you up and they walk you to another room and you're like, I'm walking with like my corneas cut open. You're like, what in the world? They take you, put you in another seat and then that's where like they do the laser stuff and you can like smell it burning like yeah, you're like, that's my eyeball. It's burning right now. What the heck? And you're just like trying not to move. You're trying to be so still because you're like, oh, I don't want the laser to get my hair, you know? So it's kind of crazy, but 10 minute process. And then all of a sudden the lady says, okay, we're all done. You can go ahead and sit up. And I literally sat up in the chair. I went into the surgery completely blind according to me, right? I mean, past legally blind on the charts. I went in, couldn't see anything, sit up in the chair and I look up on the wall and I see the clock on the wall and I could see it clearly. I could read it. Tears just start streaming down my face, just completely changed my life. I could see without any help with glasses or contacts and just over the next few weeks, the vis my vision just kept getting better and better and better. It was amazing. Total transformation. And so, Thinking about that and what we're talking about today, I just really feel like God wants to do some spiritual LASIK today on our eyes, on our spiritual eyes, so that we can truly see what is going on around us, so that we can see those fields that are ripe for harvest, so that we see the needs and we meet the needs and we minister to those around us and we share the good news to people. I believe God wants us to truly see what's happening today. And he wants to do some spiritual LASIK on us. Because I believe we've stopped seeing some of these things, some of these needs. So I wanna ask you today, do you need spiritual LASIK? Because sometimes we only see what's close to us. And if you wanna gauge where you're at with this, this is a great question to ask yourself. If God answered all my prayers, would it change the world or would it just change me? It's a good question to ask yourself. So today we're gonna to be talking about opening our eyes to certain things. And so the first thing I wanna talk about is that we need to open our eyes to where they are, to where the people are, to where God is sending us to connect with people. We've gotta be aware of others around us. And, and Pastor Aaron talks to us about our circle of five. Who is in your circle of five? Like be, open your eyes to who they are and to where they are. Just open your eyes to that because God has put you where you are for a reason. He's put you where you are and you're surrounded by people right around you that God wants you to be reaching that God wants you to be touching and ministering to, whether it's at your work, at school, maybe in, in the sports teams that you play, the, your connection group, and even your neighborhood. Look right around you. Open your eyes to where they are right around you. We are to go to them. God has told us to go, go into all the world. And honestly, we're here on Sunday and this is great, and we're here because we wanna be here, we're here because we're seeking God, but he's called us to gather so that we can go, 
So this part is us getting filled so that then we go, we go to where they are. And God has put people in your life right where you are. And we have always made it a priority in our life to, to live life with our neighbors. Whoever it is that, that we're living by in our neighborhood at the time, we try to make sure we spend time getting to know them. We learn about them. We, we spend time getting, you know, doing things together and talking and, and learning about them so that we can love them and minister to them right where they're at. And one of the neighborhoods we lived in for many years, we lived next to a single mom. And so she had a son and we have three sons and her son kind of was in the age gap between our middle son and our youngest son. So there's about a five and a half year age gap between them. And so he kind of was right in there. And so he just fit in with our family really well. And he was an only child. So he was not around family interaction much or siblings or a mom and a dad because his, his dad lived out of state. And so he was able to experience those things being a part of our life. We had him over all the time. The kids played with it together all the time. And so we just constantly made ourselves available to her. If she needed to go do something, we would watch him. Like we just did life together with her right where she was. And so we have to be conscious of the possibility that God puts people in our path for a reason. Like it's for a reason. And so that young boy got to experience what it was like to have brothers and what it was like to be a part of a larger family dynamic to just to see what it looks like when the family's not all about him. Because in his house, he's the only child, so everything was about him. His mom did everything for him, all that. So he got to just learn and see something different. And God put them in our path for a reason. It tells us in Psalm 37, 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. And he's directing your steps with the people around you. I believe God gives us divine appointments. I believe that there are people in our life that are in our life for a reason and that there was no doubt that God ordained it. And you've probably noticed that in your life and he's leading you to connect with someone who needs him. Again, they're not gonna come to us. We need to go to them. And when you're in that process of connecting with those people that are around you in your circle, you're, you're gonna end up hearing what's going on in their life. You're gonna end up hearing what the need is because it's usually about something that's going on in their world, maybe with work, maybe with home, maybe with their family or a sickness. And then you just ask questions, you know, how is that impacting your life? How does that make you feel? You just start asking some simple questions and you're gonna get all the information that you need to know to love them right where they are. So one day I was having a conversation with our neighbor and she was just sharing with me how difficult it was to be raising her son alone and how sometimes he was, wasn't listening to her and she was trying to, to teach him some things in his life and to, to train him up in the way he should go. And she was trying to do that, but it was just so hard because the dad wasn't there to help reinforce. And so she was just sharing with me how 
difficult that was. And so I just looked at her and I said, I can't imagine doing that all alone. And I can't imagine how hard that is. And then she, she said to me, she said, do you think that Aaron could maybe talk to him sometime about some of this? And I said, absolutely, absolutely. That's what God ordained us to do in that time. That's why God connected us. That's why God put them in our path, right? For a reason. God is gonna give you an opportunity to connect with them right where they are. The second thing that we need to open our eyes to is who they are. We've gotta open our eyes to who they are. It's so easy right now to be irritated with everyone. And honestly, everyone, everyone is mad about something or everybody has an issue with something that's happening in our world right now. Everyone is taking a side and it's one side against the other and everybody's finding ways to be against each other. And, and everyone either has an enemy or you have an opportunity to have an enemy, right? <laughs> There's plenty of opportunities. I think we all agree with that, right? There's just so much division. But yet we hear people talk all the time about, oh, we need, there needs to be more love. There's, we need to, there should be so, so much more love. Everybody just needs to love. Like, let's focus on love. Oh, but I don't agree with you, so forget it, forget you. You know, it's, it's, you know we wanna love and, and everyone's talking about it, but then we engage in this cancel culture, which is saying, hey, if you don't agree with me on X, Y, and Z, I want nothing to do with you. So we're, we're talking about we want love, but then we engage in this cancel culture, which makes us enemies with everybody. Listen to what Jesus, this description of Jesus is what we should live out. In Matthew 9, verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, that's Jesus. So when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is saying, listen, there's a reason they're mean. There's a reason they're like that. They're, they're feeling harassed, they're feeling helpless. They're literally lost and they have no direction. And so they're lashing out like that. You need to have compassion on them. Jesus is saying, show compassion. Don't engage in the division. Don't engage being against one another, but show compassion. Because to change our world, we don't have to be like them, but we do have to like them. Because you're not gonna change anyone you don't like. You're not gonna connect with people you don't like. You're not gonna share the love of Jesus with somebody you don't like. So we don't have to be like them. We don't have to engage in the division. We need to be showing compassion, just like Jesus. The third thing we need to open our eyes to is what they need. Because everyone has needs. But this can be an area of some confusion in the church world. So honestly, in the church world, we can disagree on, on what people really need, right? And there's some division in the church over this. There's two things that, that you can feel needs to happen. One of those is truth, and one of those is grace. 
And so if you're on the side of truth and you're like, well, we just, we got to bring them the truth. They need to hear the truth. We've got to give them truth. And you're just, you know, harping on that. And you're like, listen, it is Jesus or you're going to hell. Like, that's, that's a truth person. If you've ever encountered somebody like that, that's a truth person. They're, they're legalistic. They're a little bit harsh. Like, they're just like, that's it, you know? And so the fact of the matter is what they're saying is actually true. They are saying what's true. But they're not reaching anyone. They're not reaching anyone because God didn't call us to be right. He called us to be effective. He called us to be effective. And if it's just truth and that's all we're saying, then there's no room for grace. And there's no room for grace. It's just all truth. And so there's also that side of grace. So then you have the other side, you know, grace, which is saying, oh, you know, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Jesus loves you. Oh, there's just unconditional love for you. It's okay if you're sinning. Don't worry about it because God just loves you right where you're at. And, and there's just so much love, right? So that's the side of grace. And again, technically, they're right. They are right in what they're communicating, but if you live in either one of these extremes, we're gonna miss the right way to treat people. We're gonna miss it because truth without grace is just mean. And grace without truth is meaningless. And so it's a combination of both. You have to have both of those things together because when you do, when you put them together, you have exactly what people need. And it's actually Jesus. Jesus is the perfect picture of truth and grace together. In fact, there's a description about him in scripture that talks about this. It comes out of the book of John, verse one, starting in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So that's Jesus, Jesus is the word, and he became flesh and dwelled among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the perfect picture of this, grace and truth. And notice that grace is first. Grace is first. We extend grace and then we give truth. We are to connect with people before we correct. Jesus is the perfect example of this. He lived this out. Just read about him through the gospels. Anytime he interacted with people and ministered to them, you'll hear the Bible say, and he had compassion on them. And then he, you would see him love them right where they are. And then he would lead them to the truth. But the grace always came first. There's a particular story in scripture where Jesus encounters a man named Zacchaeus. It comes out of the book of Luke chapter 19. You can read it if you wanna get all of the details. I'm just gonna tell you the story, but there's a man named Zacchaeus and he's a pretty bad guy. He's a tax collector and he actually would steal from the people. 
and not just a little bit, but a lot. And so he would take the taxes, but he would pocket a bunch of it. And then he would go back and tell them he had to give them even more money. And so he just, he was just making life miserable for so many people, just stealing right from them. Terrible guy. Everybody knew about him. Nobody wanted to be around him. Like he was just, he was an awful guy. And so Jesus was traveling through the countryside and was, was traveling to where Zacchaeus was. And Zacchaeus heard about this man that was coming, this, this man named Jesus, the Messiah was coming. And so he wanted to see what it was all about. And in scripture also describes him as a short man. So he was very short in stature. And so with a lot of crowds around, Zacchaeus wasn't gonna be able to see anything. So he climbed up in a tree so that he could see Jesus when he came. And, and I get that because I'm really, really short as well. So I probably would have been up in the tree with Zacchaeus. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, hopefully I wouldn't have been that bad as he was. But I know there's a song. I don't know if you grew up in Sunday school, but there's a song and it helps me remember the story. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. So anyways, you might know that song. And you know the whole story if you know the song. I won't sing the rest of the song for you because I'm telling you the story. But so Zacchaeus is short. He's up in the tree and Jesus comes into town. And Jesus, Jesus sees him. He knows he's there and he stops at the tree. And the first thing he says to Zacchaeus, he says, hey Zacchaeus, why don't you come down from there? I wanna, I wanna go have lunch with you. Let's go have some lunch together. So Zacchaeus comes down from the tree. Now Jesus could have, stood at the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you short little greedy man, you get down here, you thief. I have to talk to you. He could have said that. That was truth. That was the truth of who he was. But he didn't say that. He said, Zacchaeus, let's go hang out for a while. Let's go have some lunch. And interesting enough, the lunch conversation is not recorded in scripture. So he and Jesus go have lunch and they spend some time together, right? And then the next thing that we know, Zacchaeus leaves the lunch and he goes back and he gets a bunch of money and he returns four times what he stole from each person back to them. He literally goes back to them and gives them four times the amount that he stole from them. That's a transformation. That is a powerful transformation. Just from Jesus simply saying, hey, let's go have some lunch. And it makes me think that if Jesus had really said, you know, Zacchaeus, you're a thief, get down here, we have to talk. I'm not sure the same outcome would have happened. Because Jesus shows us to give grace and then truth, right? To connect before we correct. Because to change our world, we're gonna need to show someone else the same kind of love God showed us. Because at some point in your life, at some point in your life, God got a hold of your heart. You felt his love, you felt that grace being poured over you, and you had a transformation. Don't you want that from somebody else? Don't 
you wanna be the instrument of that for someone else in their life? You got to receive that. Now it's time to give that to someone else. Because here at Grace Church, we are a church on a mission. We are a church that's gonna live out the great commission. We are a church of grace and truth. And this is what we're gonna live out. It talks about it in our vision statement. It says that we're gonna transform the Space Coast with the radical love of Jesus. And it's gonna take us doing that with grace and truth to transform the people around us. And so today, say I wanna give you an opportunity if you need your eyes opened to see spiritually what's happening around you and to see those fields that are ripe for harvest, I believe God wants to do some spiritual LASIK on you today. And so I would like us to just stand together. I believe we all need this in our life. And we're just gonna pray and ask God to open our eyes today. Open our eyes to where they are, to who they are, and to what they need. Let's see like God sees. Let's. Let's live this out in our lives. Let's truly see the, I, I, I truly believe that if we could really see spiritually how ripe the fields are, we would be standing here weeping together right now. And then we would go out and do something about it. And so if your heart is not burning for that harvest of people you need to ask God to do a work in you today. You need to ask God to truly open your eyes so that you can see it because it should bring us to our knees and it should, it should be all that we need to know to just go out and do something about it. So let's pray together. God, actually just lift your hands to heaven if you wanna touch from God right now. God, we just come before you right now and we just ask you to move in our hearts and in our lives right now in this moment, God. We're seeking you right now, God. And, and we know what your word says. It says that the fields are ripe for harvest, God, and that you've mandated us with the great commission to go out and preach the good news to everyone around us. And so God, if we cannot see that, God, I just ask that you would open our eyes right now in this moment, God, to truly see what's happening spiritually, God, to truly see the ripe harvest of people that need you, that need your love, God, that need us to connect with them, to show them grace and truth. God, choose us today, God, to go out. God, we say that we are here, that we are ready, God, to send us. So God, I just pray that you would do a work of spiritual LASIK on our eyes today, God, so that we could truly see what you see so that we could see those around us, God, where they are, who they are, and what they need. And God, that we would do something about it. God, I pray that we would be able to see so that we can bring the change that's needed. God, we no longer will ignore the needs around us, God, but we wanna see them and we wanna do something about it. So God, I just pray that you would remove the scales on our eyes so that we could see clearly today. In Jesus' name, do a deep work in our hearts, God.